Hi, you're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Ayla Krem. Today, we're hanging with John Bugnacki, Deputy General Counsel and Director of Regulatory Policy of Tazin. We'll be discussing the advantages of a decentralized exchange over a centralized exchange, what we can expect from the development of DEXs after the FTX collapse, and what risks people should be aware of when dealing with a DEX. Enjoy! All right. Welcome back, one and all. Hopefully you've had a good week or so since the last time we've done this. If you're new, here's what's on tap. It's pun. Get it? Because this is diffuse tap. Yeah. Anyways, this is a weekly event. We do it every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, 11 Eastern. This is our 144th time doing this. Uh, the format is roughly, we're going to talk about the event you're in right now and why we do it who Diffuse is, um, which also is why we do it. And then we're going to do a fireside chat with uh, expert du jour, who is John Bugnacki today. And we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced because Diffuse Tap is largely networking. So this is an opportunity for you to get into small breakout rooms of four or five or six with other alternative investors from all over the world. We get, you know, all over the U.S. and Europe, mostly some Asians, uh, some people in Asia from time to time, but the time zones always don't the best. But we do want you to learn a little bit, which is why we have folks like John on to share some of his amazing hard-earned wisdom. If you like the networking aspect of this, we do do in-person versions of this, which is just networking, fewer speakers. Uh, the next one is on March 15th in Chicago. Hosted by Adam. See, you can see it. See it right there. It says it. Yep. So if you're in Chicago, March 15th, come check it out. Um, I won't be there, but a lot of people will because a lot of the Diffuse network is actually based in or around Chicago. Speaking of, what is Diffuse? We spin up various crypto funds. Our primary focus right now is actually our DD30 product, which is an index fund of the top 30 cryptocurrencies by market cap, which is monthly rebalanced. We're at the tail end, well, hopefully tail end, of listing this here in the United States of America, uh, just as soon as FINRA, you know, figures things out. So we will definitely keep you up to date on that, but let us know if you have any interest in the product. But that's enough about us. John, I will, uh, you will do a very good job of introducing yourself and setting context. Would you mind unmuting yourself, telling folks a little bit about your background and what you're over up to over at Kazan? Yeah, thanks so much and really happy to be here. And I think that events like this are really cool and really important to be able to help uh, advance not only our you know personal interests and projects, but you know the industry as a whole. So thank you again. So my name is uh, John Bugnacki. I'm the Deputy General Counsel and Director of Regulatory Policy for Tassin Inc. We're a blockchain software developer uh, headquartered in the United States. Uh, we have people all around the world, but our worldwide headquarters is here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, so I attended law school at the University of Chicago. Prior to doing that, I worked in governmental affairs in the United States and Europe. Uh, I was an adjunct uh, fellow at a national security think tank and mostly based in D.C. And then at the same time, I had a really you know strong interest in uh, technology and how that's changing all of our lives and advancing it. So I was also a senior product manager at a, a startup based in Washington, D.C. called Public Spun Forum. Then uh, after attending the University of Chicago, where I did some you know, relevant internships at uh, the Department of Justice and uh, Fried Frank and some other organizations, I then uh, joined uh, Tassin. 
uh, working under our former general counsel and the chief legal officer of the uh, HBAR Foundation, George Pesach. And uh, after that, I've sort of assumed the uh, lead attorney role over here. And so um, as my background would tend to indicate, I'm very interested in the intersection of uh, government policy, technology, uh, law and business. And yeah, that's sort of where I'm coming from. Phenomenal. Thanks so much for giving a little bit of introduction. We'll toss you right into questions. Looking at DEXIS, are they, I mean, I think everybody in this call kind of knows what a DEX is, but do you want to give a little overview of what the main difference between a decentralized exchange and a centralized exchange from maybe legal structure and operational perspective? Yeah, sure. Of course, within uh, the digital asset ecosystem, there's a lot of different types of structures. But if we're to uh, put it into, uh, you know, let's say two broad categories, a centralized exchange would be something like uh, Coinbase or a Kraken or unfortunately, as, as occurred, uh, FTX. And it's an exchange very similar to something like uh, Robinhood or a traditional uh, securities or brokerage exchanging uh, application or system where you have a certain amount of money that you then you know, transfer via wire or credit card into a relevant brokerage account. Then that brokerage account allows you to be able to uh, trade, uh, do things like uh, limit orders and market orders, and but the ultimately uh, in most of these uh, scenarios, the centralized exchange itself is is custodying your money, um, and then subject to potentially you know many different types of uh, like applicable legal regimes, um, in the same way that like a traditional centralized uh, securities exchange or like brokerage service uh, would be. And then in contrast, a decentralized exchange, and of course, there's many different types of them, uh, but what they would focus is that separating out the ability to be able to trade on the exchange from the exchange or an affiliated entity of that exchange, uh, custodying and then holding your money. So many prominent examples of a decentralized exchange would include something like uh, Uniswap or a DYDX. Uh, in certain, uh, to a certain degree, a lot of these decentralized exchanges, for instance, something like Uniswap, doesn't use a traditional centralized exchange or centralized securities exchange uh, model like market makers. They use like alternative models like liquidity pools. And then would you like me to go into some of the legal implications of this? Or this will be in some of the, the next questions. Uh, please I don't, I just jump rambling. right into it. Keep going. Oh, a quick uh, caveat yeah. for the audience. Uh, please, if you have any questions or anything you want to ask John, dump it in the chat. Um, we'll pick them up as we can. But please jump right into the legal, by all means. Yeah, of course. So... If you are a digital, a centralized digital assets exchange there, and even a decentralized digital assets exchange, there are many applicable uh, regulatory regimes that could uh, affect uh, what you're doing. I mean, in particular, there is the Securities uh, uh, Act of 1933, the Securities Act of 1934, under and then all the potential uh, regulations that relate to insider trading and fraud and how that's addressed in terms of the centralized versus the decentralized exchange is that an argument has been made by many decentralized exchanges that if you are a securities exchange, if one, if you are considered to be an exchange, and then two, if you're actually helping to exchange uh, relevant uh, you know, assets that are considered to be securities, uh, then you are subject to a, an enormous number of regulatory requirements in terms of your customer uh, disclosures, in terms of uh, maintaining a certain amount of funds within the organization, more or less the guardrails and what you can and can't do. 
Um, and the reason why we haven't seen more innovation within this relevant area is that the registration and filing requirements as required under the, the 34 Act, the 33 Act are very intense, large, right? But with a with a decentralized exchange, they've made the art, many of them have at least attempted to make the argument that they don't constitute an exchange under the 34 Act because rather than serving as the entity that brings together relevant trades and facilitates the trading of the securities, that they merely provide some sort of uh, forum, a sort of peer-to-peer -peer system that they aren't controlling, that they couldn't do anything with in terms of embezzling the customer funds or something like this, that instead, oh, sorry, I just saw that little comment come up. Um, that in that instead it provides just merely a venue to be able to uh, do that. And then uh, as well for uh, other exchanges in terms of like money service business uh, regulation, uh, many of the decentralized exchanges would argue that they don't constitute money services businesses, more or less facilitating the exchange of, you know, uh, of money and resources across relevant uh, state borders and international jurisdictions because they don't custody the money themselves. Then you can also get into the relevant regulations around uh, like FinCEN and uh, relevant sanctions, where in the case of a centralized exchange, uh, a lot of them attempt to block out uh, relevant jurisdictions that are prohibited under FinCEN or the Patriot Act by using which they would be applicable to. Uh, to be able to uh, be able to comply with these uh, regulations, some decentralized exchanges have uh, kind of gone down a similar path. Then, of course, people can use technology to be able to break some of these VPNs. And at least in one case, the SEC asserted jurisdiction because uh, a relevant exchange that was accessed by U.S. users didn't use anti-VPN blocking technology, which is kind of interesting <laughs> uh, from that perspective. Um, and there's a bunch of other things that could be considered, for instance, is uh, a relevant token or is the exchange itself under U.S. law uh, security or commodity? And then what should be the designated regulator of digital asset spot markets? So a lot of different Love considerations it. at play. So it sounds like the people that are doing it all on chain are making the argument that they are tech providers, they aren't doing custody, so they really shouldn't be regulated by either the SEC, the CFTC, or the Department of Justice in FinCEN. So I guess that natural question then would be, and this is what AJ's uh, question is, does that make them less safe? I know FTX had, you know, has really eroded a lot of trust in the industry and there's been a groundswell for regulators to come down hard and we're seeing the SEC doing that. How do you see that playing out in the current environment? The interaction of the SEC and these various digital asset uh, service providers? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, kind of, yeah. What do you expect to happen over the next three to six months in the regulatory environment with uh, these various on-chain mm -hmm. DEX type solutions? And, uh, you know, a corollary of that is mm -hmm. who are the users, right? Is this kind of a, like slowing institutional adoption? Is it all retail? Just mm -hmm. some thoughts. Yeah, definitely. Happy to do it. Um, so one of the, uh, the one of the main things that when when you particularly talk about securities regulation in the United States that you have to take into account because many times if we look at the historic cases uh, that the the SEC or relevant state securities regulators have pursued is the idea that the most important role that the SEC plays is consumer protection that I can't come out and sell a bunch of 
shares in some non-existent enterprise and then either flee the jurisdiction or dump them on you or something like that. And we see this come up time and time again. And so where there isn't another regulatory regime that governs a particular product. So for instance, in the case of many banking products, and I'm sure that, you know, I'll see in the comments that I'm overlooking some things, but this is just, you know, an over uh, a general overview that if uh, a particular type of product, I mean, for instance, like a commercial loan or many of these things, if you looked at the Howey test for uh, an investment contract or the Reeves test for a note, they could be considered within the purview of the, the SEC. However, because they're covered by another regulatory regime that uh, uh, provides sufficient protection toward those uh, consumers, then it wouldn't be covered. In a case when it meets this type of speculative, I, can, I could go through all the elements, but I think a lot of the people um, in the room are more or less aware of the, the Howey test and all that. But uh, from uh, reading various, uh, you know, everything in the news. But uh, if it is not covered under that and it more or less meets and it doesn't have, if it's not being used in and of itself, you know, as the SEC kind of elaborated in the 2019 staff guidance, then the SEC will at least try to assert jurisdiction over it. So uh, how does that uh, attitude sort of uh, govern what we are seeing currently with SEC? So at least in my opinion, um, you know, current chairman Gensler, in terms of his approach toward digital assets and cryptocurrencies, the gold standard for him is Bitcoin. And how is Bitcoin, and to a certain degree, uh, Ethereum, though he's somewhat perhaps changing his opinion on this, it's, it's not really known, is why is that different, in his opinion, than a lot of these other cryptocurrencies? And the entire idea uh, there is that the creator of it, Satoshi, um, at least to our existing knowledge, never took his tokens and then sold into the market or sold into the market to be able to fund a particular product or something like that. It's a true decentralized protocol in that sort of way. And so there's sort of unusual circumstances there. No one knows what really happened to Satoshi. I mean, many people believe that, you know, he might be dead or incapacitated or something. That's why he never spent any of his, of his coins, right? Um, so when we look at other projects that, according to the 2019 SEC staff guidance, would have been considered not decentralized at the beginning, but then they become more decentralized in terms of their the governance, the utility of the underlying uh, digital asset or token that's being offered, these type of things. That's something can morph from a security into sort, sort of a non-security over time. The main issue, and that's been elaborated upon, and this has been discussed, and this is the strategy that's used by most companies that are in this field, at least from a legal perspective. The issue with this is that other than this 2019 staff guidance, the main uh, process by which the SEC is uh, sort of making this law um, is through enforcement actions. And when we have enforcement actions, we don't get much insight other than just reading the tea leaves of various statements by Chairman Gensler and various statements by other heads of agencies that what, what are they actually, how are they evaluating a particular product to be, for instance, let's say decentralized versus centralized. Uh, other than more or less sort of what I was saying in terms of the nature of Bitcoin and certain decentralized networks and the existing 2019 staff guidance, we just really don't have a lot of insight. And then these enforcement actions, whereas if we had you know acts or movements from Congress, they would lay out, okay, this is what the definition of a security versus non-security within the digital assets context is. For instance, in the, the Lummis Gillibrand bill, uh, we really don't have any of that. When we have enforcement actions, and things come up in the news. Why did the SEC consider this to be 
uh, decentralized or, uh, or centralized. A lot of it happens be uh, be behind closed doors. And so we don't get a lot of insight for future product uh, projects uh, being able to like angle themselves and be able to participate in a compliant way. And that's why, at least in my opinion, what I've been seeing and talking about is that the a lot of the, these projects uh, outs, with, with lack of regulatory security in the United States uh, moving overseas into other jurisdictions. That was a very long and thorough answer. I love it. I'll, I'll try to make. I'll try to keep it shorter. Sorry. No, 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 no. That was, that was very good. We didn't, you don't need us. That's great. We can sit back and relax. Um, I got a couple of questions more along the sides of um, security. Because a DEX is a little bit like a DIY environment. You have to kind of bring your own. Not, not that FTX is so super secure itself. We got massively hacked <laughs> in the middle of everything. Um, but how should folks be thinking about DEXs from a security perspective? From the, at least according, at least in my perspective, if you have a centralized exchange, there are a number of relevant uh, challenges, both from the user perspective and the security perspective. As uh, you're uh, alluding to, Ayla, the uh, centralized exchange, if, and if exchange has your funds, then it can be hacked. Uh, the exchange itself, it's a, if it, the, it, the company, if it's on a systematic basis or on an individual basis, the uh, money that's being held in a DEX uh, could be yeah, embezzled or messed around with. In terms of the uh, trading for certain centralized exchanges, um, and this is this goes beyond the digital asset context, but this also this goes to Robinhood. That we've seen that there have been concerns, at least on the part of retail traders, that the exchange itself has suspended trading or withdrawals in order to advantage other customers or commercial entities that the exchange might be uh, associated with. So, in contrast, on a decentralized exchange, much more secure because. Of course, there's different models to be able to do this. Some exchanges that claim that they're decentralized are not actually decentralized, but you know, a lot of the prominent ones uh, I would consider are. Um, that if you're merely holding it in your MetaMask wallet and you're you know, signing a, a smart contract to be able to allow your uh, funds to be exchange uh, exchanged on a certain decentralized network, then in my opinion, those funds would be entirely secure. Uh, the the only issue potentially is that if a decentralized exchange, in order to perhaps enable cross-chain uh, settlement and trading, used uh, wrapping or bridging, that's obviously led to hacks. Uh, I believe at least in the hundreds of millions, if not more. No, it it it, it absolutely has, and it's, it's it does call really severely into question the whole non-custody, especially for bridges, because those are eh, are they mm -hmm. purely tech and are they securities or are they not? Well, we are right at the half hour and we do try to be reasonably punctual. So, well, John, we just scratched the surface and I know it goes so fast. And I'm sorry, but we do need to do breakout rooms um, when we come back in between breakout rooms. And I won't be here. Sorry, everybody. You'll miss me. I need to hop. Um, but we're going to ask you the same question we always do, which is tell us the future. Uh, what are you excited by? What's coming down the pipe and uh, bonus points for anything the audience hasn't heard about before? Definitely. But a couple of housekeeping items before the breakout room. Uh, networking, not pitching. Please be respectful of that. Be kind. Uh, politics in general can be a little hit or miss in there, especially with these topics. Uh, we don't do a full participant list. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, just swap details. It's the easiest thing. Uh, also, you can join our Telegram group. It's pretty lively. Great for, well, networking and making connections. Isla, you want to give Feeks, Feeks with that, uh, folks a topic? And you are muted, Isla. Happy to. So uh, the first topic of the day is what 
decks. So which decks would you be most comfortable trading on as things stand today? I'll pop you into rooms now. We'll get you back here in exactly 10 minutes. Welcome back. Welcome back. We'll do a little last bit of questioning of John before we go into the second round of breakout rooms. Um, John, are you with us? Yep. Perfect. What do you see coming down the pipe? This little ball time. What's coming up in the world of DEXs that's particularly interesting, folks might not have heard about, et cetera? Well, I think from the regulatory angle that a lot of the centralized, because a lot of this should be talking about in terms of the contrasts, that uh, unfortunately, uh, I think because of the fallout of FTX and Celsius, Voyager, a lot of these, I know some of these weren't DEXs, but in overall being centralized uh, crypto pro- crypto and digital asset projects, that uh, what we've seen, you know, in recent uh, days with the, or recent weeks rather, with the SEC coming down very hard on a lot of these centralized projects, that ultimately that's just going to be the beginning, that a lot of this could be prevented and I think clarified if there was a comprehensive uh, law passed, such as the uh, Lummis uh, Gillibrand uh, proposed uh, Responsible Financial Innovation Act. But as all of us know, uh, these things and uh, rolling through Congress take a very long time, even more so when it's related to digital assets, when all the investigations and the lawsuits and regulatory actions for FTX are still ongoing. So we're really going to see the SEC attack, particularly centralized projects through enforcement actions. Unfortunately, a lot of these enforcement actions Unless the companies that the their, uh, the SEC is pursuing the enforcement actions actually take it to court, then one we won't see uh, get a lot of insight into the the SEC's arguments, and then two we won't uh, get a lot of uh, binding case law that could be used for other uh, cases. Uh, in regard to DEXs, there are reports. I mean, extending all the way back into 2021, that the SEC is looking into certain decentralized projects. Uh, such as uh, Uniswap and some other DEXs. I believe the Uniswap investigation goes back to 2021, but please, please fact, me, fact check me on that one. Um, uh, but yeah, they're going to look into DEXs. And I think that if we read into what Chairman Gensler has said, that he would much rather prefer a decentralized protocol or DEXs compared to a centralized exchange, because at least in his opinion, a lot of centralized exchanges function very similarly to securities exchanges, and they present a lot of the same consumer protection uh, issues. So the SEC thus will look into decentralized exchanges to see, well, are you just calling yourself decentralized or are you an exchange subject to a lot of our requirements? That is probably a very good question that they will most certainly ask. We have one bit from Adeem here. He just wanted to know, what, how are you looking at the DEX governance situation when you're thinking about Uniswap and A16 said and then all the, the jazz that is happening in that uh, part of the world? Oh, specifically meaning? Um, like, yeah, Uniswap and A16 said, I guess they had a little bit of a, a DEX governance situation um, in the past few weeks. And I just want to get a feel for, do you think that's going to impact the future treatment of DEXs? Or uh, do you think that, that your your previous statement of SEC is going to indeed dig into how DEXs operate and how decentralized they actually are and kind of take from there. Yeah, exactly. So thank you. Uh, A lot of the arguments that DEXs would have that they are not a, 
a traditional centralized project that can get it over on their customers, that can steal from them, that can embezzle from them, that can manipulate them, is that it's not one centralized entity, a group of people that could do that. Like if there's the capacity that they literally just can't do it, then the risk of being classified as a centralized entity or the relevant um, regulatory classification will fall. Uh, some of the concerns around DEXs and particularly their like DAO governance structures, and this is indeed what the SEC has been looking into for some decentralized projects, is they're not nearly as decentralized. They claim, the SEC claims that they are not nearly as decentralized as would you would otherwise think. So at least from the governance and operation point that there might be a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO, that governs a particular DEX and should provide decentralization. But if you look at how that DAO operates behind the scenes, it may not be so. So they'll certainly be digging into that kind of thing. Phenomenal. I'll pop us back into rooms. I promise you, new shuffle. And we'll be back in 10 minutes and then we'll wrap it up for the day. See you all back here shortly. All right, all right. Thank you, everybody, for coming back. Really appreciate your time here today. I'll just do a quick little wrap up on what's coming on next week. Um, so we are going to be a uh, getting ready for almost uh, another diffuse tap in real life in Chicago. That's on the fifteenth. We have a whole host of folks that are uh, co-hosting that specific session, so that'll be a really exciting one. Um, and the other one is next week's diffuse tap. Uh, we'll be talking about on-chain transaction operationalization. Oper oh, yeah, basically automating the way that we're doing transactions on-chain for standard type of businesses. So uh, you could actually include that into your operations, even if you're not a crypto only company. So that's what we'll talk about next week. Um, in the meantime, John, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. We really appreciate it. I think what we'll probably wanna do here is maybe uh, give away a little bit of your personal information. Um, how should people be getting in touch with you, John? Yeah, so I'm available on a number of social media platforms. One I probably am, am most reachable and available on is uh, LinkedIn. And so that's uh, John uh, Bugnacki, spelled the exact same way that you've seen in all the materials. And always happy to potentially collaborate on uh, you know different projects to help offer you know help with uh, networking, particular type of expertise, and uh, yeah. So feel free. Awesome. Well, in that case, thank you so much. Right on time. And we'll see you all back here next time. Thank you. Thanks so much again, Ayla. You're welcome. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. And thanks as usual. Thank you. See you later. Bye. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.